and welcome to Beyond the Benefits with Savoy Associates. My name is Chris Vanderwolk. I'm the Senior Vice President of Employer Services and Compliance. And today I am with a rock star among Savoy Associates, Colleen Patterson. <laughs> Colleen, how are you? I'm pretty good now that I hear everybody clapping in the background. <laughs> This is the reaction you get. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun when we get to add a little bit of fun things like that to our day. So, Colleen, how are you today? I'm doing really good. It's the beginning of fourth quarter, so I think everybody's starting to get things kind of in order and organized, but it's certainly getting busy, but we're doing really well. Are you ready to do some gag clause attestations as we head into the year end? Well, no pun intended, but every time I hear that, it makes you want to gag because it's like just another compliance item on top of everything else. But yeah, I think it's probably something we should spend a little bit of time talking about. Yeah, so it's, it's hard for employers. Employers have a lot of obligations these days, and they seem to be adding a new one every six months or a year or so. But this came out of the Consolidated Appropriations Act, correct? It did. So it actually was passed in December of 2020, but the guidance came out in the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. So this has been around for a while, and it's just now actually coming into fruition where people have something to do. So... We can break this down into some pieces. There's a gag clause prohibition. And there's yes. an attestation. Correct. And so the prohibition happened a long time ago. The law said you can't have a gag clause. What's a gag clause? So I think that's probably one of the most confusing things is because it did happen back in 2020. So this has actually been out of these contracts for a while. So a gag clause really essentially says that the insurer or the plan sponsor, they can't have anything in their contracts that specifically says that a third party has any kind of special arrangements. And that's supposed to have been removed back in 2020. And most of these policies have done that. But what has happened now is this new requirement, which is where plan sponsors have to attest that their contracts indeed do not have these clauses in them any longer. And I think one, maybe it's more clear now because this law went into effect, but before the gag clauses were prohibited, I don't think a lot of people, even in our industry, knew that carrier contracts with doctors and hospital contracts with carriers and vice versa treated the cost of a procedure as proprietary and confidential information. And so part of why we're sitting in 2023 and we can barely get good pricing data on cost of coverage of things that are pretty standard is because up until 2020, most of the players in the market, the payers and the people getting paid, treated the prices as proprietary confidential information and prohibited everybody else from disclosing those prices to the public. True. And I think the other thing to note for everybody listening is this is all part of this you know, transparency that we're working towards. And this is another component that has to happen in order for that information to become available. So the next step can occur, which is for us to really truly become healthcare consumers and be able to use this next wave of transparency that's coming, which is going to be tools to make pricing more available to us, which means those clauses can't be in there. We're 20 years into consumer driven health. And we didn't let consumers figure out how to shop. We just gave them bigger <laughs> yeah. bills. Yeah, As, as an industry, true. that's what happened. Yes. We gave people $5,000 deductibles, but didn't tell them how to save any money by going from one provider to another. So this is all part of that same process. RxDC was a similar process. So another process for employers to be mindful of. So we got a gag clause. They are prohibited. Now we have to attest. What does attest mean? 
So a test means that the plan sponsor, and really this could in fact, this could have an impact on a small employer. It's not just mid-market and it's not just uh, large employers. So really everybody should pay a little bit of attention to this to really understand, do I have to do something? So this way of attesting is there's an online form that they have to go and fill out. And the form itself isn't complex. It's, it's pretty a, straightforward. It is. And actually, this is probably one of the few times where the instructions are also very clear. They're pretty simple, too. So it's it's pretty easy to go through the process. Probably in total, maybe takes you about 10 to 15 minutes if you have the instructions with you. And you have to have some information with you as well. So it's not a difficult process for folks to have to go through. But I think what's really difficult is just understanding do I have something to do? And in many cases, if you're on a level-funded plan, which a lot of small groups are now, you may have something to do. If you're fully insured, probably not. You want to ensure your carrier is doing it. But if you're a truly self-funded case, then you absolutely have got some steps you've got to take. Yeah, the compliance team here at Savoy has put together a great guide as to which carriers have told us so far what they're going to be doing and who they're going to be doing it for. And your mileage may vary. Check the guide, see what your carrier says, check with your carrier, make sure that it applies to your plan. But it is a pretty straightforward process because what you're saying is we've complied with this law. So right. really the, the catch here is for employers that didn't. It is. It absolutely is. And mentioning the guide, one of the other things that I want to We've been getting a lot of questions about this, so I'm going to take a second just to mention this. That guide also includes for the uh, level-funded and the self-insured groups where the uh, carrier is saying that the client has to attest. Most of those carriers have put out some type of a statement, and there are links on that guide to those carrier statements. So if you're a group that's out there trying to figure this out, that's one of the pieces of information you want to have readily available so you can get through that process pretty quickly. So it's gag clause by 1231, pretty simple form have to go out and say we haven't had any of these in our plans since 2020 this time and right. that's every year after that right yes it is and then rxdc is happening again isn't it that's coming back around <laughs> and aca reporting aca reporting coming back is coming back again. around again yes and medicare part d notices yes <laughs> and uh don't forget the uh, online disclosure for cms too and that that's 60 days after the beginning of your plan year right and so this is a little bit of an obligation. There's a few requirements for employer plan sponsors. There are. So, I mean, it's a busy time of year for everybody anyway, but you throw on these new compliance requirements on top of the existing ones. Yeah, you're pretty busy. So you and I are nerds. And I say that we are. endearingly. I don't, <laughs> yes. that's not a, it's not a slight. That's no, a, not at all. We wear those badges as well. <laughs> and so we were having this conversation off the podcast the other day. My brain works like a bunch of different maps and clouds where I see, when I try to keep all these things straight, there's no linear process. It's one of those things where we have these great ERISA calendars that mm -hmm. talk about requirements as you go through a year, but even those don't touch on sort of the baseline requirements because it assumes that if you bought an insurance plan, your insurance plan is already complying with the things that the Affordable Care Act requires or that your state insurance mm -hmm. department requires. How does your brain work? Can you describe how you see all these requirements? If, if mine is clouds and, and clusters, what is yours? So every time somebody approaches me with a compliance-related question, I suddenly see flowcharts in my head. It's like, okay, so if you're asking me about this question, I can answer that. But then I've also got to think about how does that impact these other areas of compliance? 
you mentioned, you know, the ERISA calendars, but we were talking a little bit about ACA and we had mentioned, you know, Medicare Part D. So there's a notice requirement there and that's only one of many. So I started thinking about all these flow charts, which is, you know, if you're yes to this and you're no to that, then what? So, you know, and I think most of us in compliance tend to think that way, that there's never really just one simple answer because there's always something else that that answer is going to have an impact to. I'm going to have to dig up my first year torts outline. You'll love it. It's all flowcharts. <laughs> oh, so that, that was how I figured out torts is I did all flowcharts. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Now you're really speaking my language. <laughs> so lately I've seen a surge in a small but vocal group of the benefits advisors who are maybe a little brash in how they talk about what the right fit is for a group. And mm-hmm. they're a little one size fits all. I think a lot of them, their heart's in the right place. I think a lot of them are doing really innovative things and have a lot of really good things to say. But every so often, mixed in there, you get things that are not necessarily compliant solutions. And Mm -hmm. maybe the heart's in the right place and they don't understand. I'm reminded of a couple of years ago, Total Financial Group, the Mm -hmm. classic 105. Oh, yeah. Comes up every six months or so. Somebody... It pops up with a new label on it. It's a fixed indemnity wellness plan or mm-hmm. it's some other way that they have figured out the only way to hack the internal revenue code in a way that nobody else has figured out. Ernst Young didn't figure it out. KPMG didn't figure it out. Some okay. guy in Louisiana figured it out. <laughs> the one and only. <laughs> and so there, there's all these requirements for just basic plans. I find sometimes that it's hard to convince people, even when you show them black letter law, that, yes. that, hey, this is what this says, because the other thing seems like such a good deal. What tips do you have for people to think back to the core operating mechanisms of our business? Like insurance requires certain things by federal law in the United States. It does. And I think ethically, the first question is, not even so much a question as much as it's a statement. Every single time we're approached with a particular situation or a question, the first thing I always think is there's no right way to do the wrong thing. And there really isn't. So if you keep that in mind and you think about what you already know about insurance rules and regulations, then it makes it a lot easier to be able to digest some of those types of programs that are these classic 105 plans. So some basics like you can't double dip. So if you're getting a pre-tax deduction, and that's what these plans really start with first, and they're under these guise of a wellness plan, but you're giving that back to the employee in a post-tax world, well, there's rules around that. That post-tax money that's coming back has to be equal to whatever the outlay was for the health care expense. Well, there's no health care expense. And it's got to be a substantiated health care expense. Exactly. Nobody's so, going to, IRS doesn't allow a $1,000 text message reimbursement. Right. <laughs> so if you think about just some of those basics, very quickly, it becomes clear that these type of creative you know, strategies, if you want to call them that, really don't work because they don't meet the letter of the law then. And I'm also seeing some products out there that seem like great value. And they deliver a lot of value for what they do, uh, but maybe they don't fit the regulatory environment mm-hmm. that we have. And, and that's unfortunate because the rules are right. the rules. And, and some of that is when the Affordable Care Act went into place, the design was to get rid of, quote unquote, junk insurance mm-hmm. because they, and they wanted insurance to be something that was no pre-ex, no annual maximums, no lifetime maximums, unlimited preventive care, and no cost sharing. We wanted people to go get that stuff. And Good policy, bad policy, high cost, low cost is immaterial when it's black letter law. Mm -hmm. You want to offer insurance, it's got to do those things. If you want to offer a qualified group health plan, it's got to do those things. And 
you can have some variation. But then you see these bolt-on solutions, which might work in the context of a point solution where, hey, we've got this great fit for telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Telemedicine is awesome. Huge fan, lowers costs, increases access. Great thing. But you can't pretend it's a health plan. It can be a part of your health plan, but you can't pretend it's a health plan. Right. And I think the other thing, too, again, keeping you know ethics in the conversation, part of our role as consultants is to ensure that we're giving the best advice uh, for the person that we're working with on the other side of the table. And when you're talking about taxes and this strategy of reducing income, well, the one other thing that you might be doing that you don't necessarily realize is you could be harming them in another way, which is, you know, this is going to impact what their Social Security benefits may be someday. It's going to impact what, you know, they may have to pay in, you know, back taxes someday, you know, when they go to do other things within their personal life. So there's a reason why these strategies haven't been put in place before because they don't you know, pass muster. So be very aware, be very cautious when you're talking about that because you could be harming someone in another way and you may not know that because it's outside of your area of expertise. So leave it to the tax experts and if the tax experts have said they really don't work, they don't work. Yeah, and as somebody who has a little bit of legal education, I see attorney opinion letters that mm-hmm. come across that are, they have a lawyer's name on them, but if they don't cite case law, if they don't cite statutes, it's just somebody's opinion. And you're taught in law school that the court doesn't care about your opinion. The court cares about what the law says. And so if you've got an opinion letter from anybody, make sure it cites the case law and then go check that case law and see if it says what the lawyer says it says. Just because you have an opinion letter does not mean that what you're working with is a sound strategy. And I think that is excellent advice because, to your point, just because it's somebody's opinion doesn't make that law because they have, you know, certain letters or something after their name and they say that they're a practicing attorney because, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the courts can impose a penalty to the maximum and they are significant. So if you're going to go down that road, you better be right. Yeah. And then, of course, the biggest takeaway is we're not able to give you legal advice. So That is absolutely (laughs) right. (laughs) So... With all these mounting compliance challenges that employers have, just a reminder, we are here. We have a ton of content. We are constantly pushing out new continuing ed on these items, new marketing pieces, new guides, new carrier breakdowns. Our team is here to help you. This is a very big task for employers. We understand that. We have a team to help support your team, and we're here to help you make it easier for your employers so they can continue to offer quality benefits to their employees. I think our new slogan should be, it takes a village to be compliant, (laughs) because it really does these days. I mean, you can't just be an expert in one area. And and even being a generalist can be a little dangerous, too. You really have to work with a full team to just help understand what the true reach is of all the components that an employer, based on their size and their funding type, are required to adhere to. It's not simple anymore. It's not. It's quite the challenge. I think we're up to it. We can. We run. are. It's we, fun. We need it. We've got a great bench. We've we got do. Great teammates who can help with this. And and I think everybody on our team is a little bit of a generalist with a little bit of a specialty. Yes. We, we all understand the big picture, but we have our go-tos for certain niches. We do. And I think that's what makes it fun for us then, too. So Because there's always somebody that you can bounce something off of, and it's like, oh, my goodness, I didn't really think of it from that angle because it's not typically the area that I may focus on. And you know, it opens up a whole new world of questions, which Chris and I absolutely love, going down those rabbit holes. All right. And with that, we are going to go back to the rabbit holes and answer some more questions for some of you guys that we have are. sent in. Hit, uh, those, hit the clap one more time. Come on. That was pretty cool. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> 
All right. We're going we're gonna to have the crowd clap us out. Thank you for joining <laughs> us today. Beyond the Benefits, this has been Chris Vanderbilt, Colleen Patterson. We look forward to talking to you soon. Take care.